Welcome to the Dynamic Duo Podcast, recording from Naperville, Illinois. As developmental optometrists, we feature like-minded professionals as guests in an effort to promote awareness and collaboration. Now, here are your hosts, Drs. Lindsay Stoll and Ryan Edwards. We'd like to begin by welcoming Dr. Sarah Bush on our show. We're going to talk about screen time. That is always a hot topic, and people are obviously mindful of it. It's in the news, and um, not only as it relates to developing infants and children, but even with concussion, that's always a thing that seems to be limited. Uh, Dr. Sarah is a faculty member right at MCO, Michigan College of Optometry, uh, Ferris State, up in Big Rapids, and I want to say you did a residency there, right? Yes, I and did. And then did you teach somewhere else just for a short time? I did. I worked for about a year and 10 months at MCPHS University and before I was at Michigan College of Optometry, yes. Okay. Where is MCPHS? Is it is area? in Worcester, Massachusetts. Wow. that so. Was that a newer school that was... Yes. So when I um, when I started there, I was on the inaugural faculty. So um, I was the their first pediatrics person, and it was my first full time faculty position. So um, yeah, so I had got a lot of experience there, but then ultimately. Uh, really wanted to move home, and oh, nice. yeah. so I'm originally from Michigan, mm-hmm. and so um, and so a, a position opened up at MCO, and so I took it. Perfect, that's awesome, man. The f- the first your first faculty position at a new school, man, checking a lot of boxes. <laughs> I would think that in itself would be an experience. Your picture is probably on the wall somewhere there, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I don't know about that, but well, maybe well. on the maybe on the blacklist. Like oh the- goodness <laughs> sakes! <laughs> no, not at all. No. <laughs> Uh, well, when uh, this this whole podcast episode is based off an article you wrote in the College of Optometrists and Vision Development, they have a journal that's published. Is it quarterly? Maybe I want to say I'm not even sure. Probably. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you wrote a really nice article. You did some research and you kind of looked at three broad topics in regard to screen time: uh, refractive area or refractive area, refractive error. Um, attention and learning, and then overall ocular health. And I was thinking refractive error, uh, myopia control. That's another big topic, uh, which we should maybe have somebody on at some point. But anyway, um, so if we get right into it, uh, Hannah was really interested in the, in the first question we have for you. Hi, Sarah. Sorry I'm not Lindsay, but hoping I could step in. Just as good, I'm sure. <laughs> so I was just wondering what percentage of families have TVs, tablets, smartphones, Um, electronics like that? Well, you know, I found some kind of conflicting information depending on where you look. And I, um, I did kind of try to go back because some of the statistics in my article were from um, a few years ago. And so I kind of tried to go back and look up and and see if if some of these numbers were still correct. Um, And, you know, as far as televisions go, you know, that's, that's pretty common. It's a it's a mainstay in in most American households at this point. And if anything, I think that's declining. Mm, Um, But it's um, pretty stable still at about 97% of, of households still have a television in their house. Um, whereas, uh, the tablet number, that one was a little bit more conflicting, depending on which source I looked at, um, some were as high as 83% had tablets, some as low as 52%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with smartphones, you're looking at, you know, more like 
77 to 81% um, of those. So, and one thing I thought was interesting about smartphones was that um, it's actually even in, um, you know, what we might consider more of a low income household, you know, a household that um, has an income even as low as like Mm -hmm. $30,000, still about 71% of those homes have a smartphone. So so there are a lot of people that, that have these. Yes, it has become kind of the television of the 21st century, I think. Yeah, I w- even though you said mentioned probably 97% of people have TVs, which I'm sure they view, but the majority of the time would be on a smartphone or tablet, I would assume, uh, more so than not. I think that is uh, certainly growing, um, you know, with, I think as people, as streaming services and everything are becoming more and more prevalent and people are kind of going, especially off of like antenna television and going into streamed television um, and even, you know, going away from cable television and things like that. So, yeah, I I think that that those numbers are declining to where people aren't watching television on a television as much as they used to. Yeah, it's it's honestly unreal what a phone will do nowadays. I mean, you yeah. can you can watch you know movies, TVs, play games, um, take pictures, and also you can make a phone call on it. Which right. is, <laughs> which It'll is do nice. everything your TV can do and so much more. And yeah, so <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Another cool study you found. Well, you were looking at screen time recommendations, and I think did you use the CDC? Is that right? I'm trying to remember. Um, I use the American Academy of Pediatrics. Okay, that's what it was. I was way off. Um, But you broke it down into three categories again, which I think is very helpful. 18 and months and under, uh, and then a two to five, and then basically, you know, greater than five, you know, uh, school age. And what were some of the studies that they, you know, had showed about the information? The American Academy of Pediatrics, or you know, the AAP as they would call themselves, uh, for infants, so children less than um, 18 months of age, they really say um, should only be limited, their screen time should only really be limited to video chatting. So social interactions that they would otherwise be, you know, having um, with people, you know, now in course in this day and age people are facetiming with their family members so that they can see you know so that grandma and grandpa can see the kids and things like that and so they're not discouraging that just not encouraging more than that um but with toddler age you know two to five years um limiting to uh one hour per day and then after that once they get into school age i think they used to be a bit more restrictive from my research, but in more recent years have kind of come to the realization that, um, you know, every family is going to be different, different educational um, strategies and styles. And so limiting it to a certain number of hours would be difficult to, in some households, impossible. Mm-hmm. And so it is definitely much more open-ended uh, once you get into school age. And so from there, they um, rec- they have a lot of recommendations in what they call a family media use plan. And basically what it does is you go in and put each of your kids in and their ages. And then from there, you break down with each child what is their appropriate media use. Mm-hmm. And so it gets into and it kind of educates as it goes along and gives them different recommendations about, um, you know, things like where are the devices allowed in the house and where are they not allowed in the house? What, what times of the day are they allowed to use them and what times of the day are they not allowed to use them and um, rules that they can set and suggested rules that they set with 
screen time. And it also is kind of interesting. I was going through it and it, um, it even goes through things like manners associated with, so uh, with, uh, oh, um, wow. you know, devices like that. It's rude to, um, be looking at your phone when someone's talking to you mm-hmm. or, um, and it, and it also went through things like kind of the rules of what they call digital citizenship, okay. uh, things like, <laughs> um, you know, that it's not, you shouldn't share a video or a photo of someone without their knowledge and, you know, Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, And it also went, of course, through like online safety and stuff like that. So it's pretty comprehensive and goes through a lot of different things that I I thought it was actually pretty, pretty cool. Um, But yeah, it's more forgiving, I would say, because it lets you kind of decide based on your needs and the child's needs and and your lifestyle and your family, kind of what works for you. Mm -hmm. Would you say what that was? It was a program or an app or what was that? It's um, it's called the it's the AAP's Family Media Use Plan, and I want to say okay. it's at. Let me see. I can find the link here because oh. I remember like to find the website. Well, even if it, we put the link in the show notes at the uh, yeah, at the end, because yeah. that that sounds like something that it would be helpful even on our website uh, as a business just to be mindful of. And even if you're tracking some of this or even making it aware of your brain, I feel like your uh, usage would probably change just that you're mm-hmm. thinking, you know, even just something, if you track your calories of all the calories you eat, you start <laughs> right. to think twice about it. So if, uh, if you do the same right. for screen time, potentially. Right. Right. But even school age kids and just school in general. And, and Hannah probably can attest to this. She's been in high school recently mm-hmm. as opposed to, to, to you or I, but the, the schoolwork is on tablets, right? Or, or, um, mm-hmm. or computers. Yeah. Um, I also have younger siblings who are in high school now and, they all have laptops and they've really tried making a transition from online or paper to online now. There's no printing off. Everything's submitted digitally and even textbooks. I don't think my sister or brother received a t- single textbook their whole year or it, wow. even if they did it just sat in their locker. Um, everything's available through their tablets. And I mean, there's good things and bad things to all of that. Obviously, no one wants to carry around huge textbooks, but at the same time, it is challenging to read such small print or try to keep on zooming or making it smaller or just even writing, like taking notes from switching tabs. It's just, it's confusing and it can be easier for textbooks. Well, and then the digital strain, like we said, and, and the things we'll talk about, uh, not only with refractive error, ocular health, um, overall, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where the trends are going to go. But uh, what would you say? When your research, you found that the percentage of people with myopia, you know, and I think a lot of it you looked in the United States, maybe, or was it worldwide? I kind of, I looked, there's a lot of different places where you can find those numbers and they're all, of course, a little bit different and so difficult to compare, Isn't I'll admit. Truth? Yeah. Um, but if you, it, as of 2003, which now is 16 years ago, so that was, you know, take that number with, for what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Um, it was about 10% of kids were myopic. Um, and then there were more recent studies done in Canada, uh, pilot studies. So, you know, you kind of take those numbers again. Um, but there were studies done in, in Canada where they said even up to, you know, more like 29%. So, you know, almost 30% of kids were myopic, but certainly by adulthood, um, the numbers are a little bit more concrete, um, where about 28% of adults are myopic in you know the greater North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but they're actually projecting that it's going to be more like, 
you know, 50 to 60%. Isn't that um, something, man? Yeah. So it's almost what you could consider, a, you know, like an epidemic. Potentially, yeah, for sure. And I got to believe that the numbers, if we don't be at least a little mindful of it, is going to continue to trend in that direction. Yeah, yeah. right. So have you found in your research as far as a correlation with screen time and myopic progression, and even, you know, before we even get into some of this, it's, I think it would be incredibly hard to come up with a study to even figure this out. You know, there's so many variables uh, and, and, you know, and everybody wants black and white stuff, but it's just the reality is that's not just the case. Well, there are, it is hard. Uh, one, because this is just kind of a new issue. Yeah. And so, and myopic progression is a little bit more longitudinal. And, and so it is difficult, you know, mm-hmm. one, to find any studies that is even a lot of studies on screen time because um, it's becoming at least now more of a hot topic. Mm-hmm. But so a lot of the studies are based on television use and computer use and video game playing because that's what's been around longer. Sure. Um, and some of them do, you know, are now more and more including those things. But because of that, you can imagine all the variables that would be included in that, in that um, the working distance is going to be different for a television or a computer versus so a tablet or a phone. Um, and we know that, you know, that there's a lot of studies that are attributing working distance to be connected to the progression of myopia. And so, uh, and so it is hard, but from, from my research, basically what I would say is that there isn't, there isn't a lot of research that would support specifically using a screen regardless of its distance is connected to myopia progression. However, there are some studies though maybe not the single most recent ones, but some studies that would support that working distance would affect myopia progression. And so mm-hmm. the closer, you know, the, the smaller the working distance that, that myopia um, could progress from that. Um, but I think more so what they are looking at now, rather than looking at screen time, is that some studies are saying that outdoor time um, might be, you know, a almost a protective effect Mm -hmm. to myopia. And so and then there's other studies that look at if you're outdoors, does that mean that you're not using a screen? Or if you're using a screen, does that mean that you're not playing outdoors? And those studies are saying that no, not necessarily. Um, And Mm -hmm. so kind of from my research, after I took all that and, and put it all together, I think that one, yes, probably you know, smartphone and tablets are more likely to cause a, uh, you know, a myopic, you know, a uh, myopic progression probably than say televisions or co- even computers. Mm-hmm. Um, but probably at this point, maybe it's better to focus on just getting outside and doing more outside things. And then when we are inside, you know, letting kind of maybe the cards fall where they may a little bit more when mm-hmm. it comes to myopia progression. Yeah, no, I like that. And I think working distances are really important and it's hard to probably separate that and screen time. And then you think about the blue light conversation, you know, that we haven't, you know, touched right. on yet, but that, you know, is a factor blue light. It's important, but for whatever reason, that's kind of a hot topic and how we should be blocking that out. You know, whether right. you agree with that or not, I think once again, just to be mindful of it, uh, blue light in general is difficult for the eye to focus on because it ends up getting focused in front of the eye slightly. And so there's always a little bit of eye strain there. Um, but yeah, just, I guess the, the whole purpose of this and just, it's, it's good to hear you say some of these things that 
we're still learning um, on on some of this stuff, but just to be mindful of it. You know, at the resource that you gave earlier, I, I'm looking forward to that link. That's going to be a great, I think, great thing to share with with people. And even outdoors, yeah, that that's always good. Even developmentally in our world, it's good to be playing outside and and get dirty, get your knees skinned up a little bit. Right. And then that goes into things like recommendations on the amount of exercise that kids need. So it kind of kills two birds with one stone in that way, too. So, yeah, so good. Would you say, Hannah, that you spend a lot of time on your phone throughout the day? If you think about, you know, let's say, how about this? I know there was a, a thing that you mentioned, um, Sarah, about if you're at a job or in school and you're on your computer all day long and then you come home and you're on your computer even more, that that potentially could set you up for risk. But did you feel, yeah. Hannah, that ever was a thing when you were at school all day and then you had to come home and do more? Well, usually before the tablet transition happened, we do a lot of paperwork at school and then do projects or group work at on the computer at home where it'd be easier to communicate or on our phones. And now with the transition with computers into the school district, I feel like there's never a break from school being on the computer and then getting home and continuing ho- homework through that. Then, like, for me coming and working and being on a screen there, and also, finally, when I want to get home and just watch TV, I feel like sometimes, you know, there isn't a break. Mm -hmm. And whether it's my choice or through the school district, I mean, there isn't really a way around it sometimes. So I think the transition, I haven't really seen a difference, but I've only seen, I've only been in the, I guess I've only transitioned to the fully electronic for a couple of years. I mean... I don't know how long it would take for me to see a difference, but it's definitely interesting to see my younger cousins or just the next generation grow up without that pencil and paper connection or even development and how that'll work out. Mm-hmm. And what was that one one thing that you mentioned, Sarah, with um, working all day plus electronic use, that there may be a link myopic progression or did um, that I, I think I, I have in my paper um, some kind of information just about how I think to some extent it's just unavoidable sure. you know yeah. I think that mm-hmm. um, you know we can't because of our jobs and our lives and um, you know, and the way that kind of society has changed, whether it be in, you know, in K through 12 education or um, in, you know, higher education or, you know, whatever it is, um, you know, that that electronic device use has just become something that you have to use in order to almost keep up with society and to be able to perform your job. And so I think rather than trying to avoid it, um it's I think we're just having to find ways to supplement it mm-hmm. by spending more time outside and um or you know whatever the you know whatever your choice is as far as that goes but rather than trying to just you know nip it in the bud and just decide that we're not going to that we're going to cut it off at a certain amount of hours um it's I, I that might not be a realistic option and so instead mm-hmm. Um, you know, trying to find other ways around it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think it's completely unavoidable and it's just about managing uh, how you apply uh, moving forward. Right. So the other thing that I thought was beautifully put in your article, not only with the working distance and, you know, the blue light and the near, near time myopic progression, but just in your brain, kind of how things develop or maybe not develop with the uh, executing functioning, executive functioning, or even just attention, um, you know, because when you're, depending on what you're viewing, my guess is that you, 
your thought process doesn't always tend to be um, robust. Um, so have you found any any links with increased screen time and you know language development, academic ability, anything like that? Yeah, so there were um, some studies that I found that kind of connected executive functioning. So like you say, language language development and um, communication development uh, to, um, to screen time. Um, and in general, you know, kind of speaking more generally at first, they increased screen time, even in the toddler age, was associated with decreased executive function and ultimately decreased academic performance in school age um, to the point where they were finding that kindergarten performance and kindergarten readiness was, you know, um, was decreased because, you know, and they could connect that to increased That's really crazy screen to think time. of, yeah. Yeah, so, and, you know, we don't think about that because, of course, you're not, when your child is two, I'm, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I would assume mm-hmm. that when I'm, when my child is two, that I'm probably not thinking about what they're going to be, how they're going to perform in kindergarten, mm-hmm. um, you know, three years from then. Um, and so, ultimately, poor executive function was connected to academic performance. Hmm. But having said that, um, I think, and I think you kind of alluded to this kind of in the beginning of your question, it also gets down to what you're doing with the mobile device. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, watching television, basically, you know, it is using a tablet or using a phone, but we all know that we can stream videos and things like that and television shows on our electronic devices. And so that is going to, because it's not interactive, it's more passive mm-hmm. viewing than yeah. it is any type of interactive activity. Um, that's probably, that's going to affect executive functioning more negatively than uh, some type of interactive application, particularly more educational ones. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we can put a positive spin on that and programs such as, you know, PBS or some interactive, you know, app that helps with language development or learning your sight words or things of that nature. So at least you are getting some, some benefit overall. Right, right. And a lot of the, you know, I I did want to make sure that when I was writing this up, because kind of getting back to the fact that I think that this is unavoidable, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, that rather than try to get rid of it, and and I'm not saying use it always, but rather than trying to get rid of it, um, it, we need to find probably ways to make it beneficial and, Mm -hmm. and and learn from that. And so, um, I, you know, in the, the research that I, um, did, I found that, like you mentioned PBS, you know, programs like Sesame Street and, um, and, you know, Mr. Rogers and, and, you know, and all of those, those are older, of course, but Mm -hmm. Sesame Street is still around, but, um, you know, (laughs) so, so a lot of those, um, do have, you know, benefits to them. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of being selective in in what you choose Mm -hmm. and also in making sure that they're, you're interacting with the child in it and Mm -hmm. making sure that you are keeping track of it and helping them understand it. Yeah, that's so well said. And even just you mentioned earlier, in order to keep up with the daily grind and just the amount of information that you're supposed to know, whether it be in work or school, that you have to do some of these things. And I was going to say, Hannah, looking back on when you were, you know, maybe had textbooks and now that you have more tablets, do you feel like your ability or your potential to learn is increased because you have 
the World Wide Web at your fingertips and you can almost learn anything as opposed to opening up an encyclopedia. So can we put a positive spin on this? Um, I would say a lot of teachers are actually relying more on Google and like websites like that where we can explore and learn how to use technology in a positive way and enhance our learning more. Instead of just sticking to a straight textbook curriculum, we're including more videos or interactive links. So in that aspect, I guess it's positive. Mm-hmm. And it like, which goes into more, it's unavoidable. And I think mm-hmm. it it is still beneficial in some way, but yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of teachers have, they've integrated programs and seminars for teachers to go to and help them maximize everything that's available to us so like we listen to podcasts at our school or ted talks or we read um audio books things that that like use the technology that we have as much as we can without just going straight to the textbooks only using that as our only source i Mm. guess a lot of teachers are expanding yeah awesome well as we wrap this up um so in general i'd say we want to just be mindful of our screen time uh, and TV viewing, try to get outdoors as much as we can, uh, depending on where you live. If you're in the northern climates, you want to take advantage of it during the <laughs> summer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and, and like Sarah said, this type of thing is is unavoidable. Try to be mindful of it. Do the best you can with it. And as you raise children, if anybody does, um, just keep an eye on that. Uh, but Sarah, thank you so much for your time. I think this is going to be a great uh, episode. People are going to listen to it a lot because like I'd mentioned earlier, kind of when we're visiting, uh, the, like, we get this question, I mean, nine, 99% of the time. Right, same, which is what kind of drove me to start doing all of this research. And I thought, well, I'm going to do the research. I might as well publish it. Yeah, so that's that other awesome. people can benefit from it. So, so true. Yeah, so true. Well, thanks. And we look forward to, to you. seeing you again. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Dynamic Duo podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn, or by visiting our website, dynamicvisiontherapy.com, and clicking on the Dynamic Duo podcast link. Thanks for listening.